Oh, it was a good, good time. Um, anyway, we are uh, in a four-week series uh, on leadership. Now, I, I just want to admit that some people are like, you know, that's boring. Like, they don't want to listen to that. God bless you. Um, other, other people, it's interesting. Like, other people are attracted to Vinny who's like, this is the best thing ever. Like, I love leadership stuff. And I'm like, wow, gosh, you know, like, I never, never heard Vinny. Vinny said, well, not like your other sermons are bad. You know, and I'm like, yeah, right, sure. So, but some people love this stuff, some people don't. But I hope that you find something today that's, uh, that feeds your soul a little bit, all right? Or, or at least informs you in, in faith practice and whatnot. So we've been in this series. It's a four-week series. We're going to take a break next Sunday because we have six people being baptized. We're going to do the brave move of putting the, the tank, I think, right over here. Believe it or not, it's a big horse trough. and We're going to try it. Uh, Joe Buccalo assures me that the, the floor is strong enough. So if we all die, we'll go see Jesus. Um, but, but we're going to try to do that. Anyway, um, but so far we've had two weeks of leadership lessons where first we saw Jethro back in Exodus 18 where we heard that good leaders delegate to able people. And that's, that's true. And then Moses taught us in Exodus 31 that good leaders identify spiritual gifts in others. And there's various subpoints to all those things. But today's lesson is from the disciples uh, who teach us that good leaders empower servant leaders, Right. Uh, good leaders empower servant leaders. We're, we're, we're coming today out of the Old Testament and into the New Testament, right? We've been in the Old Testament for a few weeks, and we're into, into chapter 6 in the book of Acts. And this is, you know, uh, at, the, at this point, Christ has ascended already. He's, you know, been crucified. He's risen from the dead. He's ascended on high. And, and the disciples have re- received the Holy Spirit at Pentecost already. They've, they've preached the gospel strongly, profusely, really, all over the place. There's been exponential growth in this new fledgling church, right? And as a result of all this stuff and this boldness and 3,000 souls at the end of chapter 2, as a matter of fact, um, people have been coming to faith left and right in the beginning of Acts and miracles and healings have occurred, which are all a sign of the inbreaking kingdom of God. So it's pretty exciting stuff. Uh, but all of this is not without cost, as we see. The disciples have been incarcerated, they've been detained, they've, they've been persecuted, and uh, they've been instructed not to go and preach in the name of Christ. But thankfully, they were a little bit disrespectful, uh, respectfully defiant, um, uh, not disrespectful, but respectfully defiant. They, they've... they've uh, they just could not keep this good news to themselves. They had to preach the gospel. So they preached no matter consequence, right? And that's, that's pretty cool to hear and watch and, and learn from. But the church, the, the early church is growing in complexity pretty quickly, as a matter of fact. They've, they've been slowly organizing as a result. Different things are coming into play, just like we've seen in the past weeks when we've studied Moses and Israel as they t- came together as a people and they started to form as a nation. And we, um, we pick up today in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Um, and it says, In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the, the uh, Hebraic Jews, because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. And uh, we don't know if that's oversight or maybe some favoritism going on. We have no idea, really. But uh, whatever the case, it's a problem or an issue that has to be addressed. 
And we know that when community grows, when 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 an organization or a group of people start to grow, so does its need for organizational management and, and development and expanding leadership and, and different mechanisms to be put into place. And, and, and we, we have to realize, and I, I don't think we think like this too much, that every, we like to say it here at 6-8, if you're visiting today, everything is spiritual. Making your bed is a spiritual act, right? Uh, you know, how you treat your wife is a spiritual act. You know, what you do as far as a living is a spiritual act. Everything is spiritual. So these logistical administrative issues are included in that. They are very spiritual issues because they they enable the church to move forward and they enable the church to reach its vision and to, to live out its purpose in the world. So it continues in verse 2. It says, so the 12 disciples, right, gathered all the disciples together and they said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. And, you know, you could take that as a bad, like, wait on tables, like that's below me. That's not, I don't think that that's what they meant. Um, Verse three, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of spirit and of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. So you remember a couple of weeks ago, just as Jethro taught Moses not to get bogged down with the administrative details, uh, rather to pursue uh, his calling as a teacher and a preacher and a trainer of, uh, in righteousness, delegating others to take on certain tasks that would free him up to actually fulfill his calling, the disciples also need to be free at this point to seek God in prayer and in ministry of the word. So somebody else has to take on these much needed tasks or this much needed weight in these, in these things for the church to progress forward, to move forward and, and fulfill its purpose, right? And so you think of it like you're, you're rowing a rowboat. You've got, you know, a little rowboat, two oars, right? You can row that thing, right? You alone can, can do that. But as you go through and you're, you're rescuing people from a shipwreck out of the water, you need to upgrade your boat after a little while. You know, your, your boat is too small. It's not big enough. And more and more people come into that boat. And, uh, and the rescued people, you know, uh, have to start grabbing an oar and start, you know, rowing to save others out of the frigid waters themselves, right? And eventually, when there are many hands on deck, you, 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 you begin to man the helm and, and you keep watch and you direct people in which direction to row the boat and, to, and when to pluck survivors from the water. You know, things grow and you, you need to add different people into the mix. So it continues in verse 5, chapter 6 of Acts, verse 5. It says, this proposal pleased the whole group. So they make this proposal and everybody is all happy now, right? As, by the way, it usually doesn't work that easily. You know, like people, people get mad about something. Usually you don't present the solution. They're like, oh, that's great. You know, <laughs> but, but I guess it did then. Or maybe they just shortened it for whatever sake. But uh, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith. And, and, and of the Holy Spirit, they also Philip, Prochorus, uh, Nick, Nicanor, and I, I can't pronounce these, Nicanor, or whatever you want to call him, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, and a, a con- convert to Judaism. That guy always reminds me of my bank. Because it used to be First Union. I was First Union, and then, they, then Wachovia, I think, bought them. And then now it's Wells Fargo. Now I'm a Wells Fargo customer. So it's, this guy's like converts to Judaism, and now he 
Now he's a Christian, you know, it's like he gets, keeps getting taken over. But um, anyway, but verse six, they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So they, they designate these people to, to lead these very ne- necessary tasks. And I want you to notice verse seven, what the result is. So the word of God spread. The word of God spread. Isn't that what we want? right? The word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly because people were stepping into roles and taking on ministry. And a large number of priests, even the priests, I mean, try to convince a pastor of something, right? Like we're pretty arrogant guys, right? Like, like even the priest became obedient to the faith. That's pretty cool. So now they're rowing this giant ship in a sense, with many people on board and, and more and more coming in all the time. And what we see is that this is a pretty chaotic moment. We see in verse 1 that good things happen even in the midst of chaos and disorganization. Good things happen even in the midst of chaos and disorganization, right? How often do you look at a situation, look at chaos or disorganization and think to yourself, there's nothing good that can come from that. It's just craziness, right? If you know me, uh, you'll know I have three B's tattooed right here on my my wrist and my hand. Um, And they represent for me uh, God's movement in the local church. Uh, Everything I do is, you know, on my tattoos is in threes, right? Right. because it repre- represents Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity uh, of the Godhead. And, and, but these bees also represent us as believers in the church for me, right? The beehives kind of remind me of the church quite a bit, the local church, right? Christ in us together as a community, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit embodied in the church. It's pretty cool, I think. That's why I spent the money to put it on my body permanently. But, um, but if you've ever opened a beehive, you perceive... Only craziness. I have a friend who runs beehives all over this area. If you want one in your yard, he'll put one in your yard and he'll give you some of the honey. But he's a great guy. He's one of my son's friends from high school. And he's helping me get set up as a beekeeper as well. But um, when you open up the hive, it's just craziness, right? Bees just buzzing around. It looks totally disorganized. It looks totally chaotic. But if you stand there and you look long enough, there's a lot of order to that chaos right? A lot of good honey is being produced to feed their young larvae and and me. And uh, some bees are even tasked with uh, gathering all that stuff. Others make the honeycomb, you know, the, the queen does her job of laying the eggs. Some even stand at the entrance of the beehive and flap their wings to cool off the beehive. Isn't that cool? Some are tasked with taking out the dead, When a bee dies inside of the hive, they have certain bees that take them outside. Some are soldier bees that guard them and help them, help protect them and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, it's, it's all these bees working together, everyone working for the benefit of the whole and its purpose of bringing life to others. So bees are a great image for me of the local church. Ordered chaos, perceived craziness, productive towards one purpose, Right? The glorification of Jesus among the nations. And I think that's pretty cool, right? Because there's oftentimes we look at the church and think, that looks nuts. How is anything good going to come from that? 
But this verse, this first verse of chapter six shows us that in spite of some pretty severe problems in caring for the poor and the widows, the early church was still thriving, still growing, and still multiplying. Stuff was still happening. And some of us may focus only on the problem issue when we're in church life, not seeing the larger picture of all the good which is going on around us. We may not think about all that stuff. We get, we get kind of like sort of myopic, honing in on the, on the issues, the problems, but not realizing that the problems actually can be symptomatic of good growth or even opportunities for further growth. You know, every time our church starts to grow, every time we start to step into new um, territory, new waters, things start to happen. Like, people have lost their jobs this week. We've had a couple of car accidents this week. You know, the, things like that start to happen. The, you know, different little things pop up and emerge that, that seem to want to take our, our, our attention off of Jesus and off of our purpose. And I believe that those are spiritual attacks. Pray, pray for us. Pray for the whole church. Pray that we move through this stuff. Um, but problems don't necessarily signify that everything's a sham or that everything's a farce or everything's a waste of time or, or that the whole body is broken, that everything's a mess. That does, that's not really true. The church gets a bad rap in society, doesn't it? Sometimes for very good reason. We, uh, we understand there's some things that have gone on and church bodies that are pretty horrific and and they need to repent of those things and they need to turn away from those things uh, and make amends where they need to make amends. But for the most part, the church gets a bad rap when we're actually the people that are loving others and trying to move forward in the world. Um, You know, problems can signify, you know, some great spiritual growth is actually occurring. That there's something actually wonderful happening. And all churches go through these these tense times together as, as, as communities, as people. And the, the trick is to stay at the table, table right? We, we see high emotions sometimes during, this, during transitional times, and that's very, very normal. That's normal church life. And churches, like people, grow through stages. We said this last week, I think it was, that from infancy to the toddler years to adolescence, then on to adulthood and maturity. You know, our church is 10 years old. We're in our 11th year now. Amen. We started this church and, and it's grown up and it's changed and it will continue to change because it needs to change to grow and to, and to keep going out and reaching people for Christ. Transitional times are simply an opportunity for leadership and others to identify issues and lead strongly through those unsettling feelings, revealing to others the great things which have been happening and are occurring in the moment and can occur in the future. Much of my job is to remind us that there is hope in our future, that we're moving forward in something. The perceived chaos sometimes isn't a license for more disorganization, right? Rather, it causes us to remember that God is working through his church for his glory and by his power. God is working through his church for his glory and by his power. And I truly believe that. We are seeing lives changed here at 6 8. You know, some of you may not know all the different little stories that are going on, but people are being affected by the Spirit of God. It's pretty cool. We're simply invited 
to join him in his work in the world. We're, 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 we're invited to participate with the Spirit of God to, to uh, see transformation happen in the lives of people, and that's what we need. That's what the world needs. So even when things seem a mess, God still multiplies disciples and he accomplishes his will in the world despite our own sin, despite our own brokenness, despite our oversights, and despite our simple miscommunications sometimes, right? We can, we can mess up. We're human. Nobody's sitting here saying, like, I, I'm all perfect. We know we're all imperfect, and we just have to keep moving forward. Now, another facet of this passage is that the widows had a voice. Think about that. These widows had a voice and a place to share their concerns in the church. That's important, right? Many church members have seen struggle or seen hurt or, or pain, and they immediately associate it with sort of division, like we're splitting apart. But these godly women were voices of legitimate concern in the church, which the apostles both validated and addressed, right? They validated and they addressed it. You know, a couple weeks back, we had a family meeting, right? All the families, uh, all the moms and dads, uh, we met downstairs with, you know, that anybody who had a kid in the kids' ministry or they had some skin in the game, maybe they were a teacher and they wanted to come to that meeting, they could come too. And we highlighted kids in, Kim's increasing role in the, as the children's ministry director and all that kind of stuff and our growing needs in this ministry because as, as a church our size, we've got a boatload of children. Man, we've got like 40-some-odd kids or something below 10 years old alone. That's a lot of kids to manage and, and take care of, and they are wonderful, as we just saw this morning, right? It's just, it, we just have a lot. And everybody in attendance had some great ideas. It was a really good meeting. I walked out of there on cloud nine. And one of them was that uh, everybody wanted a, a kid's toddler curriculum. We, we've grown to the point where we probably need to do that. That was a good idea. Another one was, can we have a better sign-in and sign-out system? Because as we grow in number, we don't know each other. Every, 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 not everybody knows each other anymore, right? So, you know, little Avery or whoever it is. By the way, Avery Wong is the cutest little girl in the world. And you just, like, you just want to stare at her. She's so cute. And, you know, it, you know, Avery gets dropped off by mom and dad. You know, like somebody by that, that teacher back there may not know them, right? Like, you don't know who's who necessarily. And you've got to, you know, uh, have a better signing system. That was a great, uh, a great thing. And we were in the process of choosing a, a management software system for the church that will allow us to do that better. There were other potential concerns, problems, or whatever you want to call them, and good solutions put forth as well. You know, and Kim has listened to that, and I listened to that, and, and she plans to address these things and implement these things as the ministry grows and as she ta- has time to do that. But as leaders, we need to be humbly open to listen and be available uh, to hear when others bring forward ideas and problems within our communities. We need that. We need to be open, open, pe- open people as leaders, right? And this was done in a healthy way in Acts. I'm really, you know, it's, it really seems like it was done in a good, solid way. People brought the concern, you know, the disciples listened, and, and they implemented a solution, right? So our leadership's willing to listen to open and open to new ideas and, and, and open to hearing concerns. I believe everybody in our leadership structure at this church are trustworthy. I think they're really solid, good people, all of them. 
I think they're really good, open people, and that's, that's why I chose them, right, uh, for leadership. I think they're just really growing, solid, good people. That's, 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 a, that's something that I'm not sure every church can say. Sometimes you get some people in leadership that aren't very open to talking things out and stuff like that. But, and we all have our bad days, right? I'm not always in a good mood. Believe it or not, I, I'm a pretty moody guy, right? We have our bad days. We have our miscommunications and all that kind of stuff. Everybody is human, right? And, but we work hard here at 6-8 to build a healthy cur- uh, culture which seeks unity and care of each other. We really want to do that well. So we, uh, we, we, we make certain decisions towards that. At other times, there are things that are voiced that might, just may not work in church life. They sound, you know, and, and the leader needs freedom to lead and, and the opportunity to lead in those times as well. Sometimes they direct, direct us away from certain decisions which really would not benefit the whole church. Although they may look really good, they may look really solid on paper, they just don't work in real life. Not all ideas are implementable right? And so we listen and we walk through these things. And sometimes the answer is maybe, sometimes it's no, sometimes it's, yeah, let's do that. That's a great idea. And that does work, right? We also see in verses two and four that good leaders know their purpose and they know their focus, right? They know their purpose and they know their focus. Um, the disciples have seem to have this laser focus on their calling, prayer and ministry of the word, right? Or we might say teaching and training in righteousness like we saw in Moses in the past two weeks. They, they've been called, qualified, and they know what God is and isn't calling them to spend their time doing. They're very clear on this. And as leaders gain clarity in their purpose and their calling, they have the ability to discern what to say no to, recognizing that to deny God's calling on their life is for an immediate need or something that somebody else should be doing wouldn't be right. It wouldn't be good, right? Believe me, you don't want me like getting everything ready back there and you know, you don't want me scheduling all the volunteers and preaching. That's not something you want me doing, right? Um, it, wouldn't be benefit, it wouldn't benefit the whole, it wouldn't benefit the vision and the purpose. In the earlier, earlier years of our church, I did a great deal on Sunday mornings. I, I did do all that stuff because it was smaller and I could handle it and there really wasn't enough people in here. And I would get everything ready, a lot of things ready for sun, the Sunday service. And I remember Lindley came in uh, in her role as the admin assistant at that point um, before she had children and abandoned me in my role. Uh, and she said, and she, first, day, first day on the job, it seemed like she said, um, I just want to free you up to do what you're called to do. That's all I want to do is I just want to free you up to do what you're called to do. And that really meant a lot to me. You know, since, you know, since then, we've had other admin assistants. We, we had Abby Nixon, who was playing up here today. There you are. Uh, she did that for a while until she had a baby and abandoned us. Or, or, no. um, Jordan now carries that weight really well. You know, Jordan does a lot for this church, you know, behind the scenes and all that stuff. And now I come into Sunday mornings free to bring the message and to actually focus on people, right? That means a great deal. It does a great deal. I remember Bill Massey recently just took over uh, the whole, uh, what do you call it, hospitality thing back there. Just, 
He was in here Saturday resetting all these chairs and emptying trash and, and putting the coffee out and the candles out. Do you realize there's a lot of candles that we light on Sunday? We didn't light these this morning. But usually we have all these candles lit and, you know, and somebody has to change those every week. That's Bill Massey, right? Bill Massey came in, he comes in here on Saturdays and does all this work. He's just, and, you know, he gets our printing done, by the way, new T-shirts. Mm-mm-mm. We're going to be giving these out quite a bit. Um, uh, and, and, and he, you know, gets all this printing done. It just does it. Like, I just say, Bill, go do that. And he just goes does and does it. That is such a blessing. You don't understand how big of a blessing that is. So it just frees me up to pursue what God's calling me to do in my role even more. Amen for that. The, the disciples both give direction for the early church and they reaffirm their personal calling to devote themselves to prayer and the preaching of the gospel. And at times, we need to reaffirm our purpose and our calling in ministry, reminding ourselves and others uh, the unique gifts God has equipped us with, right? So that we can focus without distraction. Now, as I said, Lindley and I are working on some stuff for this fall about identifying our spiritual gifts. So if you're confused in that, just start doing something, right? And we'll get you there, right? Don't worry about it. You'll get there. Uh, You got the rest of your life, which could be this afternoon or 40 years from now or I don't know. Who knows, right? Get hit by bus. But um, I hope not. I hope you don't get hit by bus. But I digress. (laughs) But, um, you know, so we can focus that without distraction. But with each moment of transition in a church, there comes this, this tension as we identify new people to take on new roles, and that is all very normal, and, it's, and we're working things out. So uh, next we see in verses 3 and 5 that good churches joyfully nominate servant leaders under biblical direction. Good churches joyfully nominate servant leaders under biblical direction. So the disciples, you know, knowing their ministry, knowing their calling, are very aware of that, didn't feel threatened by adding these diaconal persons uh, who handled things that they couldn't handle. They didn't feel threatened by that. They highlighted the need and they encouraged the church to bring forward certain people who could meet that need and do it really well, right? And so the church, under this godly, humble leadership, joyfully identified and nominated these deacons, right? Put them into place. You know, for a long time, we here at 6-8, as we've grown, we, we had our big 10th anniversary party this past January. We're going into our 11th year. We're growing. We, you know, we've talked about that for the last few weeks. We've been discussing these needs at 6-8 and where we're going, struggling well with, with the need to augment our current leadership structure to accommodate growth. We've been talking about that. And the Holy Spirit's been directing us really well. I feel really like... Not that we're, we're, we're making things up, but we're really being led by the Spirit of God, which is very encouraging to me, right? It's very encouraging to me. We've listened well to the Spirit, and, and we're in process of structuring ourselves well, and we're making things better. We're adding needed mechanisms for our church, just like they did in Acts. So it's pretty cool. I'm, I'm excited about this time of our church. But good leadership isn't 
intimidated by other strong leaders. It encourages them to step up and and it encourages them to step out and to advance the ministry of the church because it's really about the name of Christ. It's not about my pride or my feelings or your pride or your feelings, right? It is about the ministry of the church. And when this happens, we see many different people Many different socioeconomic backgrounds and ethnicities come together to serve the poor and the marginalized well, right? To get the gospel out. And unity happens in this, this kind of a, uh, an atmosphere. Leaders are raised up and the church is pleased and the God's kingdom flourishes in a community. And that's what we want uh, on the Eastern Main Line here. That's our whole purpose, Right? I've watched dying churches, right, uh, disregard these discussions. I, I, I've watched them. It's sad, right? They, they become focused only on a form of worship or a form of doing things, disregarding the much-needed sort of conversations and sometimes very difficult decisions which need to be made to accommodate growth of a church or even to simply foster growth in a church. And that is sad to watch because we don't want our churches to die. We want them to thrive, We want to survive and thrive, right? Thankfully, I believe our leadership here at 6-8 is listening to the Spirit well, that we're walking with Him well. We've had these conversations, and we're making these decisions towards the future, and I'm really excited about that. Last week, uh, or... uh, uh, Never mind. (laughs) But lastly, we find uh, here in verse 6 and 7... That good commissioning and delegation flourishes the church. Can you say that? Flourishes the church? I think you can say that, right? I, I, I wrote it and I thought, is that bad grammar? Right? Can you flourish something? Is that a verb? I don't know. Anyway, I always thought it was just an adjective. See? The ADHD. Anyway, good commissioning and delegation flourishes the church and multiplies disciples, doesn't it? It really does. In order to be empowered for ministry and leadership, the disciples had to commission and they had to bestow on these nominated men authority to do the work of ministering to these widows and marginalized. And it was only when these people were nominated and then prayed over that the scripture says the preaching about God, had, about God flourished and disciples multiplied greatly. So when, the deci- when, when, uh, when a church makes great decisions and puts people in, in the right places and all that kind of stuff, it means that the gospel goes out. It means that we can be free to move out the, 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 the message of Christ and to fulfill our purpose. Notice there's stronger language used here than in verse 1, right? God used these servant leaders to allow the disciples to flourish in their preaching and ministry, and and they played a vital role in expanding the gospel in Jerusalem. So, in conclusion, we see in a growing church, good leaders empower servant leaders. Good things happen even in the midst of chaos and disorganization. Good leaders know their purpose and their focus. Good churches joyfully nominate servant leaders under biblical direction. And lastly, good commissioning and delegation flourishes the church and multiplies disciples, right? So when a church can grow through transitional times well, despite the perceived sort of disorder, the deceived chaos, the result is that more and more people can know Jesus. And that's what we want at 6-8. In other words, we can fulfill our calling 
as the body of Christ, and you knew I would get it in here, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, the Great Commission, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus saying this, not me, right? Has been given to me, so he gets to tell us what we should be and what we should be about. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you to do. And surely I'm with you till the very end of the age. That is the vision and the purpose for every church on this earth that preaches Christ. Every single church, that's ours. So be praying for your leadership locally here. But let's also, you know, we're in this 40 days of fasting. If you haven't picked up the books, you can pick them up over there for the free. 40 days of fasting before the national retreat or national uh, conference or whatever it is. <clears throat> July uh, 5th, we end this fast. Um, but we're, we're in this. Let's pray for the church. Let's pray for the vineyard as a whole. And let's pray for other churches. Pray that they would survive and thrive, that they would preach the ministry of the gospel, that they would not compromise, that they would walk this out well, they would preach the name of Jesus strongly and all that kind of stuff. Let's pray for those those people. Let's pray for ourselves, uh, that that it would all grow, that we would be reaching out, that we would be assimilating more and more people into the ship of faith and into the arms of Christ. Because everybody in this world is looking for peace. And ultimate peace is only found in Jesus. Only found in Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that we have a God that would go to the extent of entering our reality and going to the cross for us, entering the grave and coming out again. That alone is worthy of a thought. Worthy, worthy of consideration. We want, we want to be used by you. We want, we want intimate knowledge and experience of you. We want to be filled with your spirit. We want to be filled with your truth. And we want to reach out and start to see people come to know you more. So we pray for this year ahead of us. And we pray for our witness. We pray for... Uh, July 4th, uh, Saba's event on July 4th. We pray for Bryn Mawr Days in September. We pray for all of our kingdom partners like uh, Palm and, and Linwood Park and all these different places that we serve in the community. We pray that more and more conversations about you would happen and that we would see the power of the gospel start to transform lives and that we could all find our role and our place there over time. And we thank you for that. 